Well, welcome again to the Mill Church. I uh, just want you to know if you're visiting with us this morning, we'd love to have a record of your attendance. So feel free to fill out a welcome card. We'd just love to know that you are here. And if uh, in any way we might uh, serve you, answer any questions you have, we'd be delighted to do that. I uh, want to recognize a pretty amazing volunteer. We do this once monthly, and her name is Pam Narvaez. We have a picture of, whoa, not sure where that one came from. Um, Pam is one of our children's volunteers, actually, which is quite scary. Um, she's been volunteering since October of 2017. She is background checked. She's a sweetheart. Um, she's got babies and toddlers and preschoolers and elementary students. She's someone we can absolutely count on to pick up a volunteer slot at the last minute. Um, when we're in a pinch, she truly cares about each child that's under her care and giving them her full attention. Uh, Jocelyn tells me, I haven't discovered this for myself, that Pam gives the best hugs, the best hugs. And she's always smiling and she's bringing joy to others through her smile. And on a personal note, I'll tell you from knowing the Novaya's family that she's a big foodie. She loves food. I don't mean that in like a gluttonous sense. She's a toothpick, that gal. But she, uh, they do sushi and all kinds of crazy out there foods. And so Pam, let's give it up for her and what she means to us as a church family. We're a better church, I'm convinced, because Pam is here. We're in James chapter 3 this morning. If you're visiting, uh, I just want you to know we've been in this book. We've been studying this little brother of Jesus and his boldness post-resurrection. Uh, didn't believe, uh, questioned Christ. These kids grew up uh, swirlies, noogies, fist fights, probably the whole deal, bunk beds. And, and here he uh, believed in Jesus after the glorious resurrection from death and became a pastor in the great city of Jerusalem, had a lot to say. Uh, to people about not only faith, but works, doing uh, out of our heart for Jesus. We've been looking at that, and we've had really the privilege the last few months to study a book written by a family member of Jesus Christ. And so he's now a grown man. He's pastoring again in Jerusalem, and today he's going to tell us how to communicate with each other, or a little more uh, poignantly, how to not communicate with each other. And so here's what he says in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, many of you, excuse me, not now, not, I knew that didn't sound right when it rolled off my lips, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, speaking of Christians here, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. So in our segment of this book this week, James starts with teachers. So let me begin with teachers, the things I regret the most in roughly a dozen years of, of ministry um, is where I have said, as he'll get to in just a moment, the wrong thing. Or I've said it to the wrong person. Or I've said it in the wrong tone. Okay, um, or I said it at the wrong time. That can happen too. Have I said that one already? No, the wrong time. We can say things to the wrong person or at the wrong time or in the wrong tone and be completely out of place. Can we or can't we? Yes, we can. And so um, 
There's an added weight, I should say, for the guy up here telling you what you ought to be doing every week. For the instructors. How many of you are teaching, instructing, leading in some capacity? Writing, blogging, uh, over people in the workplace. Anybody here? Four of us. Okay. To the four of you. Um, those of us who teach are, are called to a higher level of responsibility, and it's no different in the church. Um, James is a teacher. This is why he's talking about teachers. He talks uh, about himself, other leaders in the church. So can I just ask you that if you don't regularly pray for your pastor, I don't know that I've ever done this, um, but I want to ask you to pray for me on a regular basis. I need your prayers. Um, I, I make better choices when bathed in prayer. I make better staff decisions when bathed in prayer. I um, am more kind and considerate and patient and selfless when bathed in prayer. Um, I would just appreciate your prayers. I just really would. So please do that. Um, James' main point in talking about stumbling is in uh, what he says, and, and he basically says, we'll see today, that the mouth is indicative of the heart. The mouth is indicative of the heart. Um, we don't want that to be true, but it's true. Um, how many of you have said to your kids, um, do what I say, not what I do. Right? As if that's not a double standard. But oftentimes, even what we say is wrong. As parents, as spouses, as pastors. And we, uh, I'm reading a book right now, a great book, um, Emotional, uh, what is it, Emotional Something 2.0. Um, emotional IQ or emotional intelligence 2.0 is fantastic. It's teaching me all kinds of poisonous things about myself that I never knew existed. And I'm thumbing along. I'm, oh, my goodness, that's how I respond. Oh, my goodness, I have such a short fuse. Oh, my goodness, I have no self-awareness whatsoever. I don't see myself blowing up before I blow. If you're visiting today, don't think that I just like am a dynamite stick because that's not the case, okay? Um, I'm generally pretty tempered, um, but occasionally around those who are closest to me, I can sin, I can err. James says everybody stumbles. It doesn't mean that your pastor doesn't stumble. I do. And here James is saying, you know, the mouth reveals something about the heart about what's happening inside of us. You cannot neatly bifurcate the two as if they live on two different planets. As if you can have a dirty mouth, a short fuse, as if you're prone to anger, but on the heart, you're, on the inside, you're a good person. Everything is, is well. Everything is holy. Everything is righteous. James says it's not the case. Out of the overflow of the heart, Proverbs puts it, the mouth speaks, okay? So he's saying the mouth, what you say, is an indicator of your character. One of the best ways that we get insights into our hearts, uh, interestingly enough, is to, is to hear what others say back to us, to listen. Um, every once in a while, Shannon and I will just have a great conversation that short by short I don't mean in duration I mean that's intense 
and she'll say something that I needed to hear. And she'll say, say something that maybe I've, I've heard, but I have yet to listen to. And we have these, did you know, by the way, that those who fight, those couples that fight, have longer marriages historically? Those who have an argument for time and time, it's actually a healthy thing, so don't get discouraged, okay? Don't put down your rock pile this morning, okay? Don't throw fruit up here. Um, it's a good thing to hash some things out from time to time, but we need to be careful that in our anger we don't sin because our words can be absolutely devastating, and so while I'm evaluating my words and my language this morning, I'd like to invite you to do the same as we move along. Pastor James is going to talk to us about taming the tongue. I'll read to you uh, verses 3 and 7 and 8 just to show you where we're going, where he's going with all this, and then we'll cover the content in between. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's what James says. It's amazing the amount of animals that human beings have learned how to tame. It's remarkable. And by the way, they were doing this in Jesus' day. The Roman Colosseums were full of animals. And so we see, not all of them tame, but the point still remains that animals have been tamed by men for centuries. And so I was a kid and watched a TV show called Flipper. Now, I think they were all reruns that predated in the original release my childhood. But I loved Flipper. I did. And recently, my kids um, have stumbled on a 60s TV show called Gentle Ben. Has anybody here been around long enough to remember Gentle Ben? There you go. So the kids love this DVD they have of Gentle Ben. Now, it just so happens, I love Flipper, kids love Gentle Ben, that one of my favorite comedians does a bit on Flipper and Gentle Ben. And because I didn't have any jokes for you today, I decided to take some of his jokes and, or let him rather tell it himself. Let's listen to this. I watched a lot of Flipper growing up. <laughs> Flipper, he was, he was something. Always saving people. Every show he'd go save some more. Save some people! <laughs> for that, they would throw him a dead fish. Hey, thanks. Thanks for saving people. He was always doing that backwards dance, three quarters out of the water. <laughs> Man, that was cool. Imagine if you could do that. That impressed some people at the public pool, you know? Just go, hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> Just skip across the top of the pool without getting your bathing suit wet and hop up on the other side. Hey, what's happening? And just grab a little towel, wipe off your feet. Man, it's a little colder than I thought. Wow, who's that guy? I thought, to be fair, they should have also had a bad dolphin, you know? Zipper! Big scar across his head. I'm moving safety buoys around. <laughs> Deal with that, flipper! Out chewing tobacco. <laughs> Zipper surly. <laughs> he is uncaring. 
How about that show, Gentle Ben? Do you remember that show? About a big friendly bear. There's a good thing to teach kids. Hey, bears are friendly. Go up and let them give you a big hug. Put some honey on your face, let them lick it off. Bears love kids with honey on their heads. They love honeyhead kids. Hey, Gentle Ben, where's Bobby? <laughs> Bobby. Ben's wearing Bobby's hat. I don't know where he is. Picking his teeth. I think he scampered off that way. He was scampering. The reality is, animals have been tamed. Okay? James on that thought, begins with that analogy, and he's got two more. First is bits in the horse's mouth. Second is rudders on a ship. The third is spark in a forest fire. Here's what these three analogies have in common, okay? They're little things that have big power. They're little things that have huge, gargantuan power. Um, let's take them one by one. I rode a horse, horse, uh, a, bit, a bit in a horse's mouth. Um, when I was a kid at my uncle's farm, the horse, uh, I was probably six years old, seven years old, the horse spotted two fence posts in the corner of the field leaning opposite each other with enough gap for him to get between the two. And he absolutely took off running. And at six years old, I'm bouncing up and down the thing violently. <laughs> and my uncle is chasing uh, behind and out beside uh, the horse. Um, I'm telling you, it was a scary experience. Um, and, and, and then I entered kind of a, a post-horse phase of my life where I didn't want to have anything to do with horses. I'm speeding forward until a couple of years ago, Perry Edblum, who attends our church, uh, wanted me to take, take me on my second horse ride. Uh, I had fun, um, but I'm telling you, the next day, I, I didn't fall off. I did, it didn't run away from me, but I was black and blue in places that I didn't even know existed. I mean, I was sore, and that kind of began uh, what will continue to be the second post-horse phase of, of my life. Um, my parents um, were in the mountains of North Carolina for a little getaway. Getaway Yesterday, they sent me a picture of this multi-billion dollar horse arena in the Asheville area with all these jumps and, and things galore and, and toys for horses to play on and, and above. And my mom texted and said, Zach, there are horses here from as far away as Ireland. And I, and I texted back, great mom. I've always wondered what a horse from Ireland looks like, <laughs> being facetious, of course. And, and horses, though, they're beautiful. Of course they are. They're an iconic part of American history. And as I understand it, their, their temperament corresponds with what kind of bit you use in their mouths. Okay, so a stubborn horse, for example, uh, may take a larger bit than would a docile horse. But with the right bit, and I have a bit here just to show you that goes into a horse's mouth, with the right bit and some training, human beings can control animals 10 times their size. 
and they can be made to jump and to run and to turn left and to turn right, and their shoulders can be manipulated, and their haunches or back legs can be manipulated to spin certain ways. And, and James is saying a little bitty thing, a little bitty thing can accomplish a lot. And so it is with the human tongue. A little bitty thing can have a great impact. Secondly, uh, James said that the tongue is like a ship's rudder. Any boaters here? You like taking a boat out? No boaters. Okay. Um, he says that boats are guided by a very small rudder um, so that the pilot can direct the big, large ship wherever he or she wants. So also, James writes, uh, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Ships are driven by huge winds, but yet they're steered by this tiny rudder in, in the water. Okay, um, the Germans in, in World War II, I'll show you a picture of this. They had a vessel uh, that was called the Bismarck, the Bismarck. And at the time, it was the most profound human marvel that had existed. It had 15 inch, 15 inches shells to shoot at other ships. And uh, the uh, kind of crown jewel of the British Navy, which I think I wrote down was called the HMS Hood, got in a battle with this thing, and this thing basically uh, disabled the ship with one shot in World War II, with a, with a single shot. Um, it had been attacked with little success by the Allies. Um, as grand as it was, though, it had one vulnerability. A torpedo an Allied torpedo hit its rudder and it sent it into a spin on the water and it was disabled for the rest of its tenure in World War II. How could something that successful, that impenetrable, that impressive and strong and forceful um, be disabled by a, a simple disrepair of one small part. Well, it's because small things can pack a powerful punch. And the tongue, um, James is trying to tell us, is, can be, if we let it, our vulnerable point. It can be our point of vulnerability, just like the rudder on a huge battleship. It can become the thing that undermines everything else, everything third analogy James uses is that of forest fires. How many of you have ever accidentally set something on fire? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. No, no we, we do. I did when I was a kid. Um, I won't tell you what I was doing because I'm embarrassed about it today, but I lit a, lit a pile of sawdust on fire outside of a pulled pork barbecue early in, in the morning. We were going to barbecue that evening, big, big pork shoulders in North Carolina. And when we arrived at it that night, a concentric concentric circle had grown and it had grown about yay big and was a couple inches away from my grandfather's wooden barn and so we we put out with water this smoldering uh, circle um, it could have absolutely caught the barn on fire I don't know we, none of us were alive at this point but you may remember that um, a, a firm hold on Wisconsin state history is a fire that is arguably the greatest fire that has ever been on American soil. And it's the Peshtigo Fire of 1871. 
in that fire, um, 1.2 million acres, 1.2 million acres in Wisconsin and northern Michigan burned up. 1,500 people, or roughly the population of Stratford, Wisconsin, died in that fire. 1,500 people, and that was in a day where the population was much more thinned out and spread out than in our day. Some reports indicate that people sought refuge in rivers and that the rivers themselves were so hot that people were boiled alive, just trying to get away from the fire. And while there's been some conjecturing and some theories, nobody knows how the fire was what started. But I bet it began with a spark. James concludes this idea that the tongue can affect our marriages, the tongue can affect our friendships, the tongue can affect our communities, the tongue can affect our relationships with our neighbors, the tongue can greatly affect our church. It can be the wrong information. It can be the right information to the wrong person. There's all kinds of ways that this can take place, gossip, slander, anger. Um, with this thought, verses 9 through 12, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James says, church, I watch you. I see you in action. Here's our M.O. Are you ready? Here's our M.O. verbally. Praise God! Aren't you glad to be in his house, brothers and sisters? I love Christian radio. 89Q, woohoo! Let's do a Bible study! Yay, Jesus! Let's sing that song again. But I hate him. Boy, is she intolerable. It's not worth my time to repair that relationship. This is going to get ugly before it gets better. Eighty-eight five, the family. James is saying, "I'll just tell you what he says." Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. How many of you live in the country and have a well? You have a well. Um, how many of you get both water and Coca-Cola from your well in the country? It just doesn't happen. 
right? I mean, if you live near the estuary, what kind of water content are you going to get? You're going to get a mix of salt and fresh water, right? It's not going to be both. It's going to be and. What if you live by salt water? What kind of water are you going to get? You're going to get salt water. If you live in central Wisconsin, you're going to get fresh water when you drill a hole in the ground. And James is saying, James is saying, you can't, you can't have good things in your heart and bad, excuse me, bad things coming out of your mouth. It's just incongruent. So if you've got bad things coming out of your mouth, look at the interior. That's the source. That's the well. Let God change you from the inside. There's something else. It's not just a problem with anger. That's been one of my chief downfalls, is I see exterior problems, and I try to fix what's on the outside. The reality is there's some arrogance in my heart that's undealt with that that I feel gives me the audacity to talk to some people close to me in a way that I wouldn't talk to any of you. It's not right. Amen? And we say things like, but look at all the good things that I've said to you over the years. And James is like, yeah, I get that. But the problem is the source. The source is muddy water. In the Bible, of course, the source of the heart is the heart. And of course, it's a, it's a physical organ, but it's also the spiritual center of who we are. It's the way um, the Bible speaks of it. It's the sum of who we are. It's the seat of who we are. It's our very core. And Proverbs says it's the wellspring of life. So I just want to pray for you this morning, Father. I just, I just ask, God, if, if we have regrets, how we've spoken to people, how we've handled situations, our tone, um, levels of gossip, slander, intentional hurt, Im, Im, impure motives, complete falsehoods, misleadings, half-truths, I pray, Lord, that you would show us and reveal to us that pride in our heart of hearts is, is, is where this stems from. The root is bad. And I pray, God, that we would grow humble and turn and repent and allow you. It only comes through the cross. It only comes through you, Jesus, to change us. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You still move. You still change people. You're still raising lifeless spiritual bodies up from death. You're still giving people new life. You're still changing generations and destinies you're still making first-generational Christians. Lord, you can change our stars. And it allows, it, 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 it happens when we allow ourselves to be humble. I pray that you'd convict us this morning, Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd change us, that you'd draw us, that you'd pull us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that we'd have hope for a different future than we've experienced in the past. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to take our offering at this time. Uh, God bless you as you continue to support the Mill Church. If you're visiting today, we'd love for you to just not give, not uh, be inclined to participate. We just hope you enjoy the service and it's been a blessing to you.